episode 27, Terraform, original air date, 5th of March, 1992. Hello and welcome to ScutterCast 27. This week I'm joined by Anthony. Hello. And Andy. Hello. This week we'll be reviewing the episode Terraform after a quick synopsis read by Anthony. Crichton wakes up on a moon surrounded by the remains of a crashed starbug. He detaches his hands and tells it to return to Red Dwarf and bring back Lister and Cat. Upon his rescue, Crichton tells them that Rimmer was captured whilst on a Psi-moon, a terraforming moon that reshapes itself to mimic a person's psyche. The crew search for him. The crew find out that Rimmer is hanging up in a dungeon about to be tortured by the unspeakable one. The crew find the dungeon and drive back the unspeakable one, saving Rimmer. They try to escape in Starborg, but the ship gets caught in the swamp and begins to sink. And they begin to realise that Rimmer's personality is what has created the circumstances, not the unspeakable one. And they realise they must make Rimmer feel good about himself to weaken the unspeakable one's power so they can escape. Thank you very much, Anthony. And thank you very much again, Smeekheed, for sending that in. That's two now. Thank you very much. The first scene starts, and Starbug 1 is crashed. Again. I was just going to say, how many times have we seen Starbug crash and remain relatively intact? Yeah, it's been at the bottom of a swamp, bottom of lava. <laughs> We've seen it bounce off rocks, and, you know, this time it's absolutely trashed. It's, yeah. it's in pieces. <laughs> yeah, um, Crichton's lived there in the wreckage, and he's all smashed up as well. So I can only assume he went through the windscreen, or the thing just blew up on him, and that's what's left of him. And he's kind of laying there, and his high's hanging out, and he, he just looks a proper mess. He goes to, like, the... I suppose you can describe it as, like, the Terminator, the Robocop-type view, and he's got his, like, heads-up display... And on the screen it shows error-finding server, and it's just scrolling down the screen. Now, I'm thinking on this, what server? Well, I, I don't know. What, what's he trying to connect to? The, um, I mean, the thing I noticed with this is, um, the, as, as you see in the view from the CPU, yeah, um, it's playing uh, Copacabana. Yeah, that's right. All right. Now, on the original broadcast, it was the James Last version of Coca, uh, Copacabana. Yeah. Uh, which James Last's obviously one of Rimmer's favourite artists. Um, however, every single future broadcast, every VHS tape, every DVD that has been released since the original broadcast, uh, we've got a near-identical version, but not the original uh, James Last version of Coke. Okay. Uh, which I'm assuming is for copyright and you know royalties reasons. Um I can't remember if the DVD inlay booklet says exactly why that was, but yeah, it's something that interested me that that it's only the original broadcast that's got the James Last version on it. Well, maybe it's, I mean, it's like we changed the intro and outro music on ours on this very Scottcast because we've got so much stick for using the original. So we've done a similar. Yeah. Yeah. Um, We did it purely for copyright reasons and we got absolutely slated for it. So. At the bottom of the screen, it says condition move, um, which is from a previous episode. Surely, if everything's smashed up, this will be definitely red alert or <laughs> as high as you could go. No, red alert is switched off. Oh, right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I couldn't work out on this, though, if, uh, if Crichton had his own black box system or Starbucks black box, black box fell next to him. Yeah, possibly. Um, I mean, maybe this is the serve that he was trying to connect to. 
Yeah, but the thing is, if that was Starbucks black box, that was a very small black box to find after a crash. Yeah, well, Quite it's the future, you see. It'll have a tracking device on it. You say my, my iPod's tiny and it fits loads on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, there's a prompt on the screen that says fuel tanks will explode in 67 minutes. Um, I found it very strange that the spell explode without the E. Well, I don't know why the did misspell that well i don't know just something i found a little bit strange with this one maybe that's a future spelling yeah <laughs> in three million years we will spell explode without the e. <laughs> he then gets out a laser cutter to chop off his arm it well he comes up with the idea that he'll use his arm as like um i don't know as a moving part of him so he can go and alert the crew and he decides to get a laser cutter from somewhere chops off his hand and attaches his eye to the end of it and it turns into like this little spidery thing. But then I was thinking, I mean, we've seen it in previous episodes. I mean, it's like the last day when he's packing everything up. All his bits are just spare parts, so surely they're just interchangeable. So why does he have to cut it off? Yeah, you'd think it would just <laughs> just rotate, just, pull out. Yeah. A, a twist and pull. Kind of like the groinal attachment, yeah. Just yeah, off. Mind, <laughs> mind you, you've... You might notice in this scene that you can actually see Robert Llewellyn's real wrist ah. over the top of the Crichton gloves, which I don't know about you, on close inspection in this scene when you see him, they're a bit of a crap glove, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's um, you see his real wrist underneath. So, uh, that's the first time I've ever spotted that that I can think of. Maybe that's why I had um, to use a laser cutter, you see, to get through bone. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, Something else I noticed with this, it's um, his CPU. He gets the message coming up that um, his legs are crushed beyond repair. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, goes on to suggest checking the trading price for the Series 5000. Yeah. All right. He later gets fully repaired by Lister um, using only the aid of Cat. Yeah. (laughs) And (laughs) bear in mind, he's a self-repairing mechanoid as well. I think crushed beyond repair is a bit of a... Poor description. It's yeah. not, it's not <laughs> really crust beyond repair. Just a bit damaged, maybe. <laughs> maybe his damaged chip was damaged and Rob was reporting it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Crichton tells his hand type thing to get in one of the homing pods and start the homing procedure. Um, um, what, what pods do they have on the Starbuck? Well, I don't know. Well, Holly, Holly refers to it as, a, as an ore sample pod. So I'm assuming it must be quite a small thing. Uh, yeah, I guess Obviously, so. just for sending samples back to Red Dwarf um, for analysis, you know, whether whether a moon's worth uh, yeah. mine, I would just suppose. Well, yeah, I suppose, but I guess if it had gone down in Starbuck, then it would have been a manned craft, wouldn't it? So, Well, yeah, yeah, I guess they could dig up a sample, send it back, instead of flying Starbuck yeah. all the way back. Yeah, it might but just be that- like the, you know, like the old garbage pods. It might be that sort of size, you know, or maybe even smaller, maybe even just bucket size, you know, just a bit of ore sample. Yeah, okay, fair enough. I mean, so let's have- face it, we've only got to get a hand in it. <laughs> yeah. So they have pods on Starbug that are capable of, like, leaving the planet's orbit. In many and many a scene within the series, they could have used this to, like, tell the, the crew about the dangers that they were in. Yeah, so, like, they're on the <laughs> You know, <laughs> stuff like that. Yep, yeah. You see, now oh. you're overanalyzing. <laughs> 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 
The next scene starts and you see the pod heading down the corridors of Red Dwarf. And it's not quite as good as like the hand from the Adams family, but it's it's quite a mechanical hand and it still looks kind of good. Um, it, it would scare me if I saw it coming towards me, to be honest. <laughs> I'd be trying to stamp on it. I'd be wanting to enter it onto Robot Wars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Get up against Hypnodisc. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Lister goes in to see Holly because Holly has got Lister out of bed and she tells him that there's a visitor. Yeah, now this this is what throws me because um, she doesn't seem to recognise it as a Red Dwarf or sample pod. She just yeah. says there's a pod arrived and, uh, you know, th- this then hints that it might be a tarantula walking up and down the corridors. Yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, she describes it as one of Lister's all-time fears. Yeah. You know, you know why you don't like uh, tarantulas, blah, blah, blah. But you, if you think back to Better Than Life, it yeah. was actually Rimmer that imagined a tarantula. This is a repeat of the same gag. Yeah. Rimmer imagined a tarantula into his pants. And so I would have assumed it's more of a, a Rimmer fear than a Lister fear. Yeah, unless unless back in um, Better Than Life... Um, he developed Rimmer. his fear after seeing Rimmer go through it. <laughs> yeah, maybe that. Maybe that. Or maybe they've both got the same fear. You never know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Holly explains that Crichton and Rimmer are missing because they've both gone off moon hopping, but surely they'd have known that. Now, what is moon hopping? Is it just pleasure cruising or... Uh, that's you what know, I always this, assumed. There seems to be no urgency now to get back to Earth. Uh, they always... Uh, this Every episode, this series, they've been out and about in Starbuck for no particular reason. And here we've got them, the reason is given as just moon hopping. It's as if they've just given up on, you know, any attempt to yeah. return to... Yeah. Hmm, strange. Starbucks like a toy, isn't it? You get so bored, they want to go out and play and investigate where they're going. Sort of thing. Um, I guess. I guess it'd be like, if you were stuck at home all day, you'd just take the car and go for a drive. Just, just mm. to see what's outside, I guess. I'd be playing unicycle polo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you see, you see in the background, you see the hand, it comes walking to the room where Lister is. Uh, this is where the cat walks in and they start discussing. This is where you get the brilliant, brilliant scene. It's probably, without a doubt, it's the best scene in this episode where the tarantula is, sorry, you couldn't see that, but I did the quartz marks with my fingers, (laughs) 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 is climbing up uh, Lister's leg. Now they did a shot with it, um actually climbing up his leg but it it was obviously being dragged up with a piece of string and they, they yeah. dropped it apparently um i'm just saying this is this scene you know there's not a word said between the pair of them once they start typing on the keyboard to each other yeah and if you look at the expressions on the cat's face and it seems to his his expression seems to range from fear to start off with yeah uh, well he's got interest then he becomes scared then it seems to be it just seems to become indifferent to the situation. And by the end, he seems bored with it all. He's just lost yeah. interest. Very very much like a cat. It just loses interest after time. Yeah. Um, but, you know, for a scene with no spoken dialogue, uh, I love this. And the facial expressions, especially from the cat, you know, yeah. towards the end of this episode. Um, fantastic. You know, if towards the end of this actual episode as well, the cat does some fantastic facial expressions when they're trying to build up Rimmer's self-confidence. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, really, uh, I, I really do rate uh, Danny John Jules's performance within this episode. Yeah, totally. Um, something else as well. If you look at this screen, um, 
you, you get uh, shots of um, just the screen, and you can see Lister and Cat's face reflected That's right, you know, yeah. in the uh, glass. Um, you can actually see the lens in between them that's filming this. That <laughs> uh, I didn't even notice. It's it's there. It's it's that big. You don't actually realise it is the lens, but yeah, it is. <laughs> right. Okay. You find out that this tarantula that they've just been discussing via typing for the last couple of minutes is actually Crichton's hand, and it comes up and it types on the keyboard. Hello, Crichton in danger. No time to explain. Follow. Now, surely the speed that this thing moves, it'd been quite easy to just type. Um, Crichton crashed. Hear the coordinates. Go. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> but anyway. The next scene starts, and Starbug is heading away from Red Dwarf. Right, now this is um, Starbug 2 that right. they're in. Yes. Uh, Starbug 1 is the one that's lying in pieces on the Simoon already. That's right, yeah. So they've headed off on Starbug 2. Uh, bear that in mind for something I'm going to bring, bring up later. Right, <laughs> will do. Right. Um, Lister finds Crichton on the planet. You see, basically from Crichton's view, he says, "Right, hold still. I'm going to have to cut you in half." Um, and you keep seeing it's it's very much like the Robocop scene. Um, you know when he's been sorry for you lot who haven't seen Robocop. I'm sure there's people that haven't. There's a scene where Murphy is being transformed from a normal human to a Robocop, and you see his vision keep fizzing in and out, and it's different parts of the operation. And I think this is where they've got the idea from, because Crichton's vision keeps going back on. You see Lister's face, and he's like, no, stay still, stay still. I'm trying to draw a straight line. I want to try and keep as much of you as I can. And he's going to cut him in half. But I was thinking, well, he's only got this girder across his his middle half. Why doesn't he cut through this girder? Or maybe him and Kat can shift it, or, or just something instead of cutting Crichton in half. All they need is a length of rope and Starbug too. Yeah, <laughs> just to lift it. it That's a valid point, yeah. <laughs> Maybe the cutter won't powerful enough. Maybe, Not yeah. That sort of uh, material. Well, yeah, but I mean, the, I was thinking that, but then the thickness of the of the girder is probably not as thick as cutting through Crichton. Ah, but isn't Crichton mostly plastic? It, well, <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> The next scene starts, and they're back in Starbuck. And as you mentioned earlier, Anthony, between the cat and Lister, they've managed to put Crichton back together. Granted, they've got a few spare bits, but um, they've put him back together. <laughs> well, when they start talking to Crichton, Cat's got hold of his arm, and he's actually working his arm as if he's, yeah. <laughs> you know, he's checking that all the full movements there in the same way as a doctor would work your arm to see if you, you know, check for where he's sprained, whether you've broken it, fractured your arm, whatever. But he uh, did this through the entire scene because I was noticing that, and he went, yes. he, he was moving his arm for a good like two. <laughs> Two or three minutes. <laughs> and, I mean, really, what, what, this is the same guy that got so much interest from a yo-yo, you know, yeah. dangling the string. <laughs> um, I mean, one of the things I noticed with this is Cat's yellow uh, zebra print jacket. Yeah. And according to the commentary, um, it was actually a black and white jacket that was uh, coloured in using felt tips. No way. <laughs> and he says, yeah, back then you didn't get these bright colour ones, you know, like that. I mean, whether it's Danny John, uh, Jules messing around or not, I don't know. But yeah. um, it's, it's got to be one of the coolest outfits we've seen for Cat so far. Yeah, it's, it's got the big, it's just the one that's got the big heart on the front. Um, yeah, like underneath on the black. Um, yeah, it looks like a Care Bear. <laughs> yeah. well, 
Something else I noticed as well is Lister seems to be wearing a long leather trench coat. Yes, he is, yeah. It's not It's not the same jacket that we've seen before. This is like a trench coat style with similar patches on it, but That's not right, the same. That's right, yeah. Uh, have we seen him in this before, or have we seen him in it since? We've definitely not seen him in it before, because it stood out in this. I was like, oh, that's not his normal biker jacket. That, that's a, like a full trench coat. Mm. Um, I, I, I can't remember ever seeing it after this either. No. Uh, I wonder. I wonder if you liked it so much, Craig Charles took it home or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, the fact that I don't remember it in this episode until I watched it means that quite possibly it could be in future episodes, and I've just not noticed it. Possibly, yeah. I mean, it is a very, very similar design to the previous jackets, anyway. Yeah. You know, down to the uh, you know, it's got the uh, painting mural on the back, uh, what have you. Yeah, yeah. Crichton does his normal thing. He explains. Well, he explains the situation, and that I think we, we're trying to suss that that's that is Crichton's role. He's there as plot points. Yeah, he explains that they found an S three moon, and Rimmer wanted to claim it on behalf of the Space Call. Then all of a sudden, it started terraforming around them, and basically things blew up. They realised that I think it's Holly that mentions that they can actually track Rimmer based on his light be. So off they go. Is uh, it based is it based on his light be? Well, I, I assume so, because that's the only way he's going to be projected. So that's his yeah, only physical body, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, but it's not a hologram on the planet. His H is missing, and he yeah, actually... They say, they say because it's his... his uh, the planet's formed from his psyche. Yeah. He actually develops a... Becomes a physical presence on the planet. So if it's developed from his psyche, then that would assume that the entire planet is Rimmer. So he's going to be very hard to detect then, I guess. You would have thought. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bearing in mind as well, I, am, I mean, this is a point I've brought up for later on, but I'll, I'll mention it now because it fits yeah. in. But all of the hooded horde, yeah. um, there's a deleted scene which shows that when they remove the mask, they're all actually, I mean, they're all Chris Barry. They're all based on Rimmer's face. Oh, right, okay. So presumably it's the same DNA. I mean, they're, they're very sickly looking Chris Barry, you know, very grey skin with dark eyes and what have you but yeah, yeah. the uh, presumably there's maybe hundreds of um, rimmers running around on the planet you know people with rimmers dna maybe yeah makes so it very yeah, hard you, would, to track. You, would, you would think tracking would be difficult yeah unless he's just got a tracking beacon in his hat <laughs> maybe that's what it is <laughs> yeah but then he's not wearing his hat <laughs> in, it, in his loincloth <laughs> <laughs> i don't want to think about his loincloth thanks <laughs> Um, anyway, they head for the planet, the, the terraform planet in Starbug, and they land. And then I think it's Crichton suggests that why don't they? Uh, it's probably safer to go on the ground, and he lowers the caterpillar tracks. So basically, out, out of the feet of of Starbug comes some caterpillar tracks, <laughs> which is a new design we've never seen before. Yeah, um, now this is obviously this is a new effect you know for the special effects boys the model boys they've had to uh, do these uh, fit these tracks onto starbug yeah and you'd have thought it'd have been easier just to use um blue midget you know yeah, it's already yeah. got tracks built into it you would have thought instead of using the starbug model they'd have took blue midget and you know that's it jobs jobs are good and yeah and maybe they couldn't take blue midget because the scooters aren't finished like fixing it from the last crash yeah, <laughs> <laughs> not been a priority. <laughs> so, yeah, they, they've probably been really busy fixing um, Starbug One, seems as it's been trashed that many times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
The next scene starts and they're in Starbuck and well, just kind of driving. Same controls, same everything, but they're driving. So I can only assume it works like that. I can't see it working, but but that's just me. Crane explains that it's a Psy Moon and again does his role and explains how the planet has, has used Rimmer's mind as a template. And it basically the entire planet is Rimmer's mind, which is quite a scary place. Yeah, well, they were originally going to call this title Psy Moon. Okay. Um, bef- before they came up with the um, terraform, you know, it was originally going to be called Simon. Right. Okay. Which I guess would have made sense. He also explains that every part of the psyche will be actually played out here. So every little bit of him, <laughs> and also explains that Rimmer will have a physical presence here, which is what we've just brought up about the tracking. You know, tracking his light bee. Yeah. Yeah. It's obviously not the light bee that they're tracking. Yeah. Which begs the question: Where is his light bee? <laughs> I don't want to think about that. <laughs> Maybe he's put in a safe place. <laughs> his, low, his warm place. Go on. <laughs> the next scene starts, and this is. I can only assume that the model these on the Star Wars Jowers, because that was the first thing that popped into my head, just uh, brown hooded, and all you can see is just two red eyes, which instantly I thought, <laughs> I expect them shouting, Utini. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, what are you kind of push on us? <laughs> yeah. Um, they seem to be wheeling Rimmer through the forest in in this kind of wooden thing. It's kind of a wooden crucifix type thingamajig, isn't it? Well, you wrote on the notes that it's uh, Return of the Jedi. Well, with the Ewoks, and it's that's two Star Wars references in one scene. I know, but <laughs> it, it's like. <laughs> The, the red-eyed things remind me of the Jawas. And remember in uh, Jedi, where um, well, Han and everybody... C- you got C-3PO mounted on the wooden... That's right, yeah, yeah. Um, As their I god. I, what do you call them, then? I can't remember. Carriage thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's, yeah. that's, again, what it reminded me of. Um, it was yeah. just... I can only assume that this were, this scene was heavily influenced by Star Wars. They take him off the wooden thing, and they drag him into the temple and kind of chain him up. Anyway, they chain him up and they give him this long speech <laughs> about how basically he's been chained up for the unspeakable one. Yeah, it's going to be a sacrifice and what have yeah. you. It's, now, Rimmer demands to see the British Embassy. Yeah. All right, now Rimmer is not British. Rimmer is Ionian. He's from the um, Ion of yeah. Io. Um, so... It doesn't seem to make sense, the, that request, you know, to be taken to the British Embassy, unless Io is actually a British colony. Yeah, I guess that would make sense. I mean, because they, they all do have British accents, don't they? You've seen him in his Yeah, it's very and... seems very English, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah so possibly, but um, yeah, I mean, this is something that was picked up on one of the sites that I visit, so I yeah. thought it was worth mentioning. He's not British, he's Ionian. <laughs> okay. Um, and the scene ends. You get these two scantily dressed women that come in, come in, and just start stripping him off. The next scene starts, and Crichton suggests that the swamp in front of them won't support the weight of the Starbug, and suggests that they go on foot. Obviously, the cat's not too impressed about going out in Rimmer's psyche, and Lister says it's Rimmer's mind out there. Expects sickness. <laughs> <laughs> Which shows to well how you know how much they've got to know each other over the past five years. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean to to be honest, the thought of stepping into Rimmer's psyche is quite a daunting fact. I think. 
Well, technically speaking, we've already done it with the um, Better Than Life episode. Yeah, but you, know, that... you see, although it's a, it's a conjoined one, um, Rimmer's psyche bleeds out into everybody else's and ruins it for him. Yeah, uh, yeah, I guess. So yeah, it's um, it's a nice idea this episode, but we seem to be it seems to be nothing new. You know, it's ground we've already covered. Yeah, yeah. The next scene starts and the two lasses, scantily dressed lasses that we saw earlier, they start oiling Rimmer up. Mm-hmm. And don't they start playing with his nipples and stuff? <laughs> they start circling his nipples, yes. <laughs> yes. You would think that Rimmer would be a bit suspicious here since he's like he's lost his hitch, hitch on his head and he can feel the women oiling him up. Is he not like crossed he's not crossed his mind that he's no longer a hologram? I, I think he's point. got things occupying his mind, to be honest. <laughs> well, he, he does say he does say that um, he asks for him to have a pizza ready for when they've done. Yeah. Now, that <laughs> is a reference to Thanks for the Memory, where he claims he's only ever had um, one sexual encounter that lasted 12 minutes, including the time it took to eat the pizza afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, the last thing he's got on his mind is... Uh, well, he, he is concerned of the danger he's in, but it's... Uh, He's not too bothered. <laughs> He's happy to go along with it. You know, this yeah. be treated. It's a nice service at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, they basically walk off and they explain that the master prefers his victims to be oiled as it's so much better for conducting electricity. Now, oil doesn't conduct electricity because there's no charge carriers in it. I actually, I actually looked into this. Right. There's, nothing, there's nothing you can't. It's not, it's not feasible. Which Even if you had salt, it doesn't work. Well, thinking about it, going back to Star Wars references, if oil did conduct electricity, C-3PO would have been screwed when he had his oil bath. <laughs> That's a valid point, yeah. It'd have been smoked. So, um, but yeah, I've not, I'd, I'd never really considered or thought about that. I know water can do and just assumed. Yeah. It's got sawdust in it. Uh, they mentioned that on the commentary. Does it? Does that make it more conductive? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't read that one. <laughs> The next scene starts and the boys are on the boat and they're going through the swamp. Now, one thing with this episode is the um, the look of this episode. You know, the sets and everything. Yeah. Uh, really, really good sets. And this swamp is a prime example. Um, but, I mean, you've basically got this swamp, bit of a lake, pond type area in the dark, yeah. you know, lit up only with flames. And apparently um, the lighting director, John Pomfrey, he actually fell into this swamp and took two electricians with him and a load of equipment <laughs> uh, when they was filming this. And apparently in the following series, um, when he arrived on set, he found a life jacket waiting for him. You know, <laughs> <laughs> the jokes he used to get up to. <laughs> but yeah, the sets as a whole, through you know, throughout the whole, you know, yeah, this yeah. episode, fantastic. It looks like an expensive production, you know, with the, uh, I mean, the the room that Rimmer's been held in. It looks like something from Indiana Jones. You know, it's really yeah, agreed. Yeah, um, it's a shame. With it looking the way it does, it, the fans' view of it is that it's, you know, one of the weakest from the season. It's, you know, it's, it is a real shame. I, I know what you mean. I mean, it does look very, very good. I, and I agree with you. I mean, the, the set wouldn't look out of place in, like, a blockbuster film. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. They get across the swamp and they see a little sign it's in the Swamp of Despair, um, which, again, we're going to Rimmer's psyche. Uh, they're walking past and some frogs at the sides shouting at useless, which is nice. <laughs> And Lister has a leech on the back of his neck, which the cat pulls off. 
and he finds out that it's got the face of Rimmer's mum. <laughs> <laughs> so this is obviously how how this is all created from Rimmer's mind. Crichton finds a load of gravestones and he, he suggests that the metaphors, one of them says, here lies self-respect, died age 24. Another says, generosity, died age 9. Another one says, self-confidence, taken from us, age 22. <laughs> Honour, gone but not forgotten, died age 12. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the funniest things is Kat goes, oh, there's another one, there's another one over here. It's small, I can hardly read it. And it's just very small. It's probably about two inch and it says, charm. <laughs> <laughs> there's a final tombstone, which has got an unfilled grave, which says simply on the headstone, hope which Crichton then suggests that if we don't find him quick, basically Rimmer's screwed. But I was thinking on this, why don't they just take off? Why don't they just resurrect another Rimmer? And then they don't have to worry about this entire planet. They're going to just leave it. It'd leave behind the one there. Um, yeah. At the end of the day, resurrect another Rimmer. Would, would you want to? <laughs> well, no, you'd resurrect some Because Hollywood could then sustain a decent hologram and you could have some fun. <laughs> <laughs> Not in that way. <laughs> Maybe they only have one light beam. Maybe those light beams missing at the minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> the next scene start, and you see this alien thing come out of uh, the pit in front of Rimmer, which we find out to be the unspeakable one. Now, this unspeakable one, it's it's claimed on quite a few websites as I was looking into it, IMDb and uh, TV.com and quite a few others. Yeah. Um, it's it's the design for the unspeakable one is claimed to be uh, based on a Doctor Who unused model. Okay. Um, but the thing I notice is every single site uses the exact same phrase, um, to, you know, to explain this as if yeah. somebody just copied and pasted and stuck it sure, all sure. over the place. Uh, it just didn't seem to ring true for me. So I, I looked, you know, I tried to look into it a bit further and did a few searches, and I couldn't find anything other than this word for word one description that's been posted on various sites. Yeah. Um, so I actually went onto the uh, official Red Dwarf site and posted it on their forum, you know, to, you know, just put the question out there, you know, is, does anybody know this for sure? And it yeah. looks as if this is actually an internet inaccuracy. Oh, okay. You know, it's, um, Andrew Ellard actually pointed out that, um, it's described as Rimmer's self-loathing creature. Yeah. Uh, for Red Dwarf on the on the original plans, it doesn't think they'd have stuck that onto plans that are originally drawn up for Doctor Who. So yeah, it yeah. looks as if this is pro- probably not true. Right. Okay. No. And just one of those viral things, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those things that's been. You know. I mean, let's face it. They've they've got with imdb and tv.com they've got some of the main sites with it i don't think it's actually on wikipedia but i i, I can't be sure about that i mean if it was on wikipedia it would be fact then yeah because <laughs> <laughs> everything on wikipedia is true that's right <laughs> anyway back to the unspeakable one and he's going to brand rimmer with a h looks quite painful and i'm not quite sure where he's going to brand this because this thing itself looks maybe about half foot across uh, <laughs> it's got to go on the chest or, or i don't even want to think where it's gonna go <laughs> now you know if you look at the deleted scenes on the dvd yeah all right there is one which shows a um a cactus shaped club or you know it's like a little small bat with nails sticking out of it yeah now, the DVD, the inlay booklet, says that um, 
they asked for an uncomfortable looking phallus and the oh. first one was designed made and scrapped for being absolutely unacceptable for the bbc <laughs> this one Understood. this one that is in the deleted scenes is actually um the second one that they designed and even that one was uh, dropped although rimmer does make a reference to it later on you know that um, he, he references this cactus-shaped uh, club with spikes i think he says something along those lines later on yeah uh, but yeah it's it's referenced to and it's there on the deleted scenes and this is actually the <laughs> the more suitably designed one <laughs> right okay <laughs> Dunspeakle one tells him that all his nightmares will come true there, which obviously Rim has just scared out of his mind. The boys seem to be in a vent. They seem to have climbed in a vent above. Well, I don't know where exactly where they are, but they're overseeing all this from above. It's it's very much like Metal Gear Solid. You know, when you crawl through the vents and you can look <laughs> yeah. look into the room. And I've always thought this, you know, when I've when I've watched this episode, ever since I played Metal Gear Solid and then seen this episode afterwards, oh, it's like Snake. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Maybe if Snake was in that vent, everything would have been okay. Maybe if they'd got a cardboard box to hide under, there, everything would have been okay. How do they get down from that vent, by the way? They seem to be quite, like, quite high up. Yeah, and then they just sat kind of end up on the floor. Yeah, you've got the unspeakable one, which then presents himself as Rimmer's self-loathing, and basically because Rimmer's got so much self-loathing, that's why he's so powerful. Lister says, "Listen, we can either go in there blasting with bazookas, or we can lay and watch him get splattered." <laughs> um, Cat didn't want to go down. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but as you mentioned, Andy, they kind of just jump down and start blasting away. How they got down, I don't know. How they didn't hurt themselves, I don't know. Maybe it was a cutscene, or maybe it was just magic. There'll be a ver- there'll be a it'll be like um, Metal Gear Solid. There's a vertical shaft, and you can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, they they blast away the self-loathing, and Rim says, "You're actually alive just for me." And Crane says, "Yep, you're one of the crew." And this then weakens the self-loathing, and they're able to shoot it quite a lot. Also, it, it's obviously brought back some self-respect to Rimmer, and he's, the shackles disappear. He's back in his uniform, and well, the beast is dead. So basically, the the, the leg it, and as they run up the stairs, Crane comes out with a saying. He says, "There's an old android saying which I believe is particularly appropriate here." And then says that in Byron language, it's 0011. But anyway, it continues. <laughs> it says, which, which roughly translates that don't stand around jabbering when you're in mortal danger. <laughs> okay, now I do apologise, but this is the geeky me. Um, I work with binary code. <laughs> I actually put that into a binary translator, just a binary to ASCII, and it actually comes up um, malform binary or binary is not divisible by eight. So <laughs> that is actually incorrect. But what I've been kind enough to do is if you do actually want to see the full binary for that, um, have a look at the show notes because it goes on for a little while. <laughs> Yeah, I do apologise. <coughs> That's widened the show notes by about six pages. They'd have been back on Red Wolf by the time Crichton had finished saying all that. 01000100001. It reminds me of the... Um, sorry, I know it's gone off on a tangent slightly, but it was the um, Futurama, was it? Um, Bender's Big Break? I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, that's basically he went into the past by going zero one zero zero one zero zero one, and he just poof, and he's gone. Anyway, 
The next scene starts and they're back through the swamp of despair. And Crichton says, all right, the way we get out of here is through the swamp of despair, straight past the woods of humility, and then a hard left through the chasm of hopelessness. And they get back on the boat and that's it. They head back for Red Dwarf. This bit when they're running off, it reminds me of uh, uh, the polymorph. The second one, when they run away from that, that the Mohawk, yeah, the yeah. Mohawk, Wowie, yeah, yeah it's very really similar to that, isn't it? It does look a very similar set. Yeah, I wonder if it was just reused all. I mean, mm. do we do we know where this was filmed? It was filmed just outside the studios. Apparently, um, uh, oh, what's his name, Forrest Whitaker? He was filming a film. I can't remember the name of the film, but it says on the commentary he was filming literally. Across the other side of the lake, pond, or whatever it is where they were. Right, okay. And there was, there's one of the crew members, I can't remember for the life of me who they said it was as well now, that is into, um, is into uh, diving. Okay. And so, uh, any excuse, every time they went near a piece of water, he'd actually put his uh, wetsuit on and be swimming around in there. He says, <laughs> Robert Llewellyn says, as he's paddling along, all of a sudden his head will pop up and he'll go, You're right. They were told to keep well in the boat and not to rock it and everything. And every time they went past them flames, Craig Charles will be leaning over, nearly capsizing the boat just to light his cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> the last scene starts and Rim is there complaining. He says he's been kidnapped, stripped, oiled, menaced, manacled, licked, nibbled, chained, tortured, humiliated, and I nearly had a knobbly thing the size of it, the shape of a Mexican agave cactus jammed up where only custom men's dare to probe. But this is what you were referring to earlier, Anthony. Yeah, yeah. Well, the thing is, you know, if you look at those... Um, Kidnaps, that's not good. Stripped, that's not bad. Oiled, yeah. that's not bad. Fair game. Managed and manacled, not good. Licked, nibbled, chained, chained. tortured, <laughs> humiliated. <laughs> you know, tortured, <laughs> yeah. you know, Sounds like a quiet it, weekend. <laughs> it's not a bad list, is it? <laughs> yeah. I can think of worse. Um, but no, during this rant, if you look in the background, yeah. Right, the one thing I noticed is uh, they're back on Starbuck, and if you look on the background, is it looks like there's a, a table or some shelving or something there. And yeah. there's what looks like, it just looks to me like a jetpack behind Rimmer. Right, and I can't okay. think what else it could possibly be. It just looks like a jetpack. And I think it's quite ironic that Cat comes up with a plan that involves um, a jetpack, which Crichton then poo-poos, you know. Yeah. It, it's one of these one of these plans that Crichton goes, ah, one problem, you know, an excellent yeah. plan, except for one slight problem. And it, to me, it, um, it struck me as ironic that uh, as he suggests that plan is actually a, what looks like a jetpack right behind Rimmer. Well, wasn't there in, <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong, but in the last book, wasn't yes. there a jetpack? Yes. Because now, that's they used, how they got they used it for of... painting the ship. Yeah. Uh, now, does Lister put it on or is it... Um, I think it's Lister that puts it on, but I might be wrong. I I'm, I'm going to have to revisit that book. I can't remember. But he puts it on upside down or back to front or something. Mm. And <laughs> ends up flying the wrong way. <laughs> Crane explains that it's a Simoon and that self-loathing creature was um, created from Rimmer. And it was so powerful because he had so much self-loathing. And uh, Rim's like, well, what do I have anything to self-loathe about? He says, hmm, let me get the list. <laughs> and he stands there and goes on and on and on and on. And I can't, I can't remember the exact word, but I think 
Rimmer says something on the lines, okay, that's enough. And he's like, no, 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 I'm only halfway through the list. Bear with me. Yeah. <laughs> Don't interrupt me. I'm only halfway through. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where was I? You know, and yeah, it's, um, it, it gets Rimmer down, we'll yeah. say. Now, this is where we get shots of Starbug struggling to lift up out of the swamp. Yeah. All right. Now, if you look, we should be on Starbug 2. Starbug 1 is in pieces. That's right, yeah. Now, the model that is trying to lift its way up out of the swamp um, says quite clearly on the side that it is actually Starbug 1. Ah, okay. So, um, yeah, the Starbug 1 that's crashed and is in pieces, this is... um, the same ship that's magically repaired itself or uh, perhaps they've swapped the stickers around. Perhaps, perhaps I'll tell you what it is. Perhaps um, Starbug 1 is trashed and written off. So yeah. Starbug 2 becomes the new one. They've stuck new stickers on the side. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you not think the uh, the graphics on that was pretty... I don't know. There was something really... I don't know about it. When they're trying to pull it out of the uh, the quicksand, it was very like loose and bouncy and... Yeah, I, I was. I did notice actually because there's quite a lot of scenes where you've got it, it falling into the swamp and then lifting back out, and I, I thought it looked brilliant. Uh, it really did look good, very, very good special effects. Um, this is a scene that you mentioned, Andy. He says, "Okay, okay." I say we get the jet-powered rocket pants and Junior Birdman the hell out of here. <laughs> Crank comes back with an excellent and innovative suggestion, sir, with just two tiny drawbacks. Eh? We don't have any jet-powered rocket pants. And B, there's no such thing as jet-powered rocket pants outside the fictional series of Robbie Rocket Pants. <laughs> <laughs> if it was a jetpack in the background, then obviously that would make sense. It, it just looks like it. It's yeah, uh, yeah. Just, just weird. Um, there's a deleted scene here as well, uh, which has got Rimmer quoting Space Corps directives uh, to Crichton. Yeah, and basically these space corps directors uh, basically to state that Crichton must give his life for uh, Rimmers, and right, so he's okay. got to he, he's trying to get Crichton to don a Rimmer type Rimmer type mask and go out there and give yourself up and um, <laughs> okay. let them kill you so they think they've got me. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's some space corps directors here. I'm going to have to check the list we've got on the. Um, on the forum, on the, yeah. on the forum, see if we've got these Space Corps directives actually on the list. Excellent. <laughs> I, I won't. I'll forget to do it. Anybody <laughs> yeah. that's listening, get on the forum and check. <laughs> yeah. And if not, send Ori Stud Farm a message and say, Oi. Yeah. <laughs> the unspeakable one wants Rimmer back. Crichton susses out that basically they need to make Rimmer feel good about himself and this will lift them up. He drags lister and the cat into the cockpit and says listen we, we've really got to push the boat out we've really got to make him feel sorry and uh, make him good about himself and then we, then we can get out of here i know we've discussed earlier but if he is back to being a hologram because he's got all his kit back it, well he's back in his uniform and stuff why don't they just turn off his light be and th- wouldn't that turn off the world yeah you'd have thought yeah but would I mean, the I- world then change to form one of the others yeah, well, I mean, if it, if it was the cat's world, it'd be pretty cool, to be honest. Yeah. After a couple of minutes of Rimmer feel good about himself, they start to get some lift. Um, I, th- I thought it was really well done how they did it. I mean, they're, they're giving him like a group hug and Lister's saying, listen, 
I know in, in this time we don't really get to share our feelings, but I love you, man. <laughs> this rumor's really starting to suck it up because obviously they get the lift and get him out of there. Just as they start lifting, that's when he starts to have the doubts, don't he? he yeah, yeah. You know, it's hang on, you're just saying that so I go out there and give myself up, and it starts to sink again. They go, no, no, we mean it, we mean it. Yeah. Now, the thing that always worries me with this is yeah. they all stand around, decide to give him a group hug, yeah. and basically surround him and go in with their arms wide, yeah. you know, as if they're trying to entrap him almost. Yeah. All right. Now, why the hell does Crichton lead with his groin? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You watch closely, and he's no, no, he does. Yeah. Um, no, uh, if he, if he came towards me like that, Crichton, you would be needing a nose repair job. Um, yeah, but it's all action man down there. It doesn't matter which part it leads with. Yeah, well, there's loads and loads that's actually been cut out here for the cat protesting about not wanting to build Rimmerall in yeah. typical <laughs> fashion. Um, but yeah, it's excellent, you know, nice little idea, you know, to build him up like that. Yeah, yeah. I think what you were saying earlier about cat's uh, expressions here, yeah. He looks like he does not want to do anything that they're trying to get him to do at this point in time. Yeah, yeah. He's Even that, in, when, in he, when he says, no, he's right, they love you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Outside the graves that we saw before, so like his self-respect and his generosity, they all seem to spawn versions of Rimmer, but like, I don't know what age it is. It's like, um, it's not medieval. It's... Um, Dog Tanyan sort of era. They're yeah. Like, like musketeer outfits it's, I think it's only two I think it's only self-confidence and self-respect that rise right okay now this was really really cut out cut down loads there was massive sword fighting scenes in this and yeah uh, you can see some of these on the DVD okay um, uh, this is where you get the reveal that the hooded horde are actually pale ill versions of Rimmer under the masks right okay now to give you a scale of how big this sword fighting scene was going to be yeah. if you check check the imdb pages and you'll see there's a massive list of all the actors that appeared in this episode okay all right now there's nobody really jumps out i, I check the imdb for other things that they've appeared in and there's there's not a lot that other people have appeared in yeah um, but one thing i did notice is that a lot of the hooded horde are played by stuntmen Okay. And when you look at their list, they've these stuntmen have been in you know loads of motion pictures and TV shows all over the place, and there's absolutely loads of them. Really interesting careers, you know, too many to mention. But yeah, it's yeah. worth casting your eye over, and that gives an indication of actually how much was cut out of this because it it, it becomes a quite small, trivial. You know, there's there's what three or four shots of them sort of fighting, and um, yeah. that's it. But yeah, they, this was actually like a big pinnacle ending to this episode here oh right yeah, that pretty. took quite a lot of the budget for this episode then really it's yeah a castle of actors it's, it's a costly thing isn't it yeah well i mean with the stuntmen i'm assuming that these uh the insurance alone is not cheap for them i want to thought yeah hmm. anyway that's the episode review done and the next section is the scores me personally I thought the episode was okay. I, don't get me wrong, I thought the sets looked gorgeous. But I don't know, I, I don't think there were that many good one-liners. And it was just, for me, just kind of an okay episode. I give it um, 6 out of 10. What about right. you, Anthony? Well, I I like the episode a lot. Yeah. Uh, but I didn't enjoy it as much as I thought I was going to. It, in my memory of it was stronger than my actual viewing of it. Yeah. Um, 
You see, I've always thought of it as a Rimmer-heavy episode, as this has been a Rimmer episode. Yeah. Uh, but when you actually sit and watch it, it's not actually in it that much. It's not in it much. Well, it's not in it at all at the beginning. Yeah. Uh, um, and also, like I stated earlier, a lot of the ground that we're going over to do with how messed up his psyche is and uh, a lot of the go- the gags are repeated and what have you. Yeah. And it did put, uh, put me off a bit. It's a pity they cut so much of the Rimmer sections out of this episode. Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, I've still given it a decent score. I still enjoyed it, but I've only gone for a 7 out of 10 with this one. Okay, um, fair game. It's, it, it's a strong episode, but... Um, Series 5 is strong as a whole, and I don't think this one quite matches up to the other episodes in this series. Yeah, yeah. Finally, you, Andy? Uh, 5 out of 10 myself. Uh, a bit of a plain episode. Just seems it was made to show like what Rimmer really thought of himself. Okay, there, yeah. there's, there's other episodes in the, uh, in the series that show the same point, but in more of a funny way. So this wasn't like my favourite. Yeah, kind of like um, uh, Better Than Life, I guess. Yeah, there's a few like that. Yeah, yeah. Like Marooned as well, that's the they play the part of Marooned, don't they, when they make him Yeah. List of starving and they, it all works out to be all rim past so bad and yeah. Cool. Yeah. Okay. So that's uh six, seven, five, that's uh sixty percent. The next section is what's going down in Groovestown after a quick advertisement from In the Shadows podcast. Your father was a great man, great brother. What did they tell you of his death? Officially, they told me he died during a rebel raid at Fondor. You know, the Empire doesn't deal with terrorists. It may have some rebel connections. Oh, I hate those fragging rebels. (laughs) My name is Xander Voros. (sighs) Emma Wermis. Nice to meet you, Xander. A future officer, wow. (laughs) And a female at that. No offense, but I hear women are rare in the military. You and your lady need to follow us outside. Listen, those two thugs, as you call them, are Black Sun agents, and they're waking up. If you want to live to see tomorrow, you'll come with me. Yes! The two speeders chasing us. They call for reinforcements. I could really use your luck right about now. Miss Voros... Welcome to my modest skyhook, the Faleen's Fist. My name is Shizor. I know who you are. My brother told me enough about you. Emma's father was assigned to a secret project of the Empire. Secret projects? What are you hiding from me, Palpatine? The Death Star is almost ready for launch but key components were destroyed during a rebel attack on the latest convoy. The Organas are behind this attack. Soon I will dismantle the Senate. Senator Organa and all the Rebel Alliance leaders will be at our mercy. This can't be from a blaster fight. Yeah, you're right. The angles are too linear for blaster fire. What happened here? You two, come with me. Don't you see, Emma? See what? He is a Jedi. What? No, the Jedi are extinct. They're gone. Hold on, baby. We're almost there. Now we have Black Sun and the Empire on our tail. Oh, nice going, big brother. Buckle up. It's going to be a bumpy ride. It'll have to be if we're going to evade those two Star Destroyers. Listen to me, Emma. 
don't have a choice. It's us or them. Shields are at 25%. Please. She's an Imperial officer's daughter? Major, I don't want a loose cannon on our team for tomorrow's assault. How can we trust her? We'll end up with blaster holes in our backs. You rebel scum. You'll regret this. Besides project names, I've got nothing. I'll mirror the entire terminal on my data pad. Um... Oh, that's bad. Torres, we need to go right cliffing now! We're under heavy fire. We've got seven stormies left. They've got six. And surprisingly, they're good shots. Captain, our scanners indicate new enemy contacts. X-Wing fighters. Go Squadron, this is Leader. You heard the Providence. Line up for your runs and fire all torpedoes. Let's blow this base and get the hell out of here. That Star Destroyer is right on top of us. This is your destiny. No! Visit creativeaudioscape.com for more information about Star Wars In the Shadows. An audio drama produced by Creative Audioscape Productions. Coming soon. All right, dudes. What's going down in Groove Town then? Groove Town. Well, it's been a quiet couple of weeks, especially on the forum. I, I know personally, I haven't been on that often. Uh, we we have had a couple of new members. There's, um, forgive me if I've pronounced this wrong, but it's Kendrick Tamis, I think. Um, and also Nessie. Uh, there have been a couple of other members on there, but not posting yet, so you won't get mentioned. Yeah, um, we've got uh, some news from the official website as well. Okay. Craig Charles is going to be performing at Glastonbury this year with his um, supergroup, the Craig Charles Fantasy Funk Band. All right, cool. Uh, now, this band was created in 2009. From uh, It was the listeners of the Craig Charles Funk and Soul Show yeah. that he does. And um, basically, he got the listeners to come up with suggestions of a dream lineup. And this eventually led to the birth of this um, supergroup. The band is subject to change to the lineup that was uh, on last year, because obviously you've got commitments, there's that many people involved. Uh, You can check online for the names, check on um, uh, www.reddwarf.co.uk, the the official site uh, but to be honest with you none of the names actually jumped out at me i don't think funk and soul is particularly my uh, arena when it comes to sure you know, yeah <laughs> music. Uh, but no none of them really jumped out at me but um yeah that might be worth a lot uh, also dimension jump 16 has now confirmed its first three guests excellent uh they're not Nobody's. It's uh, three members of the main cast are now confirmed. Chris Barry, yep. Danny John-Jules, cool. and Robert Llewellyn. So, uh, yeah, get you... If you look looked at it on the official website, uh, www.reddwarf.co.uk, um, it's going to be July the 23rd through to the 25th at the Birmingham Holiday Inn again. And you can get all the details you want off the official site. Brilliant. We've had a message on the Podbean site from um, Ella Williams. Hey, this may seem like a random place to write this, but I was thinking I could give you lads a topic for your next Parrots Bar discussion. What do you want to happen in the next series coming up? And is there anything you would change about the Back to Earth special? Funny bits and um, no, not really. There you go. (laughs) 
Um, I think we discussed quite a lot when we did the Back to Earth special, changing it. We will probably be revisiting it at the end of these detailed episode reviews, I would imagine. Yeah, I mean, we always just plan... To, just to see, it might even just be a short episode, just to see whether our opinions have changed um, afterwards. Yeah. Um, in fact, uh, we've been thinking about this. If anybody else has got suggestions of what they want us to talk about and what have you, send them in. Um, yeah. We've still got a year or so to go um, of covering current um, episodes. Yeah. Once we've covered these episodes, we don't know what's going to happen to Scuttercast. Um, you know, we don't know whether it's going to be a case of just report if there's anything, just to carry on with the parrots and the Groove Town and report if there's any actual news. Um, it, we, we're not sure what to do with it, where to go with it. So, you know, we're open to suggestions and hearing what people think about it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, let us know if you've got any uh, podcast suggestions. If you've got if you've got anything you want us to cover now, you know, just get get in touch with us. Send us an email or leave a comment on the Podbean site. Um, we love receiving email. Yeah. Also, um, I I want to hear how people find out about Scuttercat. Whether it was just a random search, whether it's come recommended, whether they heard about it on another podcast. Because I know we. We've had a few. We've got lots of friends that are fellow podcasters that uh, have mentioned us a few times. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I also want to put an appeal out for not just for um, email from listeners. I also want to put an appeal out for um, reviews on iTunes. Yeah, uh, it's been a while since we've had any. Uh, if we get one positive review, it puts us in the top one hundred of the uh, TV and film audio podcasts. Yeah. Uh, now, once you get into that top 100, you get a spike in listeners. We, we it does lead to more listeners. Uh, we're not not like a lot of podcasts out there where they ask for donations or money and what have you. But it would be nice if you could take the time out just to you know give us some feedback on iTunes. Yeah, uh, which appreciated. Even if it's negative, then it's you know <laughs> we know what to change. Negative is fine, provided it's constructive. As long you know, as long as it's actually. Um, you know, as long as it's constructive and you, you give us something to work with, how we can improve, we know what you didn't like about it. Yeah, yeah, you know. cool. Um, but to answer your question, Ella, the new series coming up, I think we'll be discussing that a little bit closer to the time. Um, That's probably going to be, I think we'll, as soon as we start hearing uh, rumours about the new episodes coming up, we'll definitely uh, do a lot more coverage on that, what we're hoping to hear and everything like that. Well, there's, uh, been, there's been no rumours yet, has there? Whereas, no. you know, on the run-up to uh, Back to Earth, we started getting rumours and, uh, I mean, some were, you know, some were false and some ended up being true. Um, but that's what I'm looking forward to as you get closer to these um, this new series coming out. Yeah, yeah. Um, but unfortunately, that I would I would guess we're going to hear something uh, after July when you know after the dimension jump. Yeah. Something I think will be announced at the dimension jump, Agreed, and then yeah. after that, we'll slowly as it gets closer to filming dates. That's when you start to get rumours trickling through yeah. and little bits of information, nuggets of information, and that I'm so looking forward to that. Um, yeah. As for back to earth. Again, I think, as you said, when when we cover it in a lot more detail, because um, as we've said with all these, like we did with the Back to Earth, that we'd, we'd cover it properly when we got the DVDs. We, we could do the research then. We could look at the extras and things like that, the deleted scenes. Welcome to the Parrot Spa. 
the place you can, drink a curry-flavored tequila slammer that burns on the way in and on the way out. Parrot's Bar. I, for a change, was gaming. Uh, <laughs> it seems I spend my life, I'll record a podcast, I'll spend three days editing it together, I'll upload it onto the site, I'll pop into the forum, I'll say hi to everybody, I will then fire up a games console and sit and play it for the other week. <laughs> this week, or I should say last week, um, my game of choice was Infamous um, on the PS3, which was absolutely awesome. I'm not going to go into it too much detail. In fact, um, I did actually write a blog about it if anybody's actually interested in what I thought, and I'll drop the link into the show note. But yeah, very good game. It took like 35, 40 hours of my life, um, but enjoyed every minute of it. I was evil on it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've never heard of it. What is it? Like some sort of modeling contract? <laughs> <laughs> Close. Um also, um, I know I mentioned, I think it was the last episode or maybe the episode before that I was doing the EA Sports Active thingy. Um, today, um, when I record this on the Monday, I actually finished my first 30-day training program. And uh, yeah, I'm shocked how good it was. I actually lost 13 pounds. Again, I've quite sadly done a review on the EA Sports Active as well because <laughs> I need to spend less time gaming. More time. <laughs> I've actually put on about four or five pounds, but I think half of that is just beard. <laughs> I've, just grown, I've just grown full beard, not bothered trimming or shaving and nothing. I've only got beard. <laughs> Good lad. Uh, I've picked up a copy of uh, Command and Conquer Red Alert 3, £3.95, free delivery. Oh, on the yeah, Xbox, I, yep. Yep, I ordered it Friday, turned up Tuesday, and I still not played it yet. Um, I ordered exactly the same last Wednesday, it turned up last Friday, and it's still wrapped up. (laughs) (laughs) But at four quid, it's kind of a throwaway price, isn't it? I mean, CNC is one of those. With all the other CNCs, I I never played through them all at once. It was like, right, I'll I'll do one mission, and then I'll go away and do something else, and then I'll do another mission. And, And that's how I played all the other CNC games. Yeah, we're covering the concrete one then where if you go into a skirmish, you know that you're going to sat there for two hours playing solely in one game, building yeah. your base up, doing your, like, you know, your yeah. armour and that so. I've yeah. not played it. I've not played Command and Conquer since PS1 days. But yeah. all I used to do is write code for nuclear strike. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> jo- jobs are good. <laughs> Have it. <laughs> I was, I was, I was, yeah, I used to play on the PS1. You used to be able to uh, connect two machines together, couldn't you? On uh, and two TVs. Yeah, yeah, you could. Sort of uh, that, link thing. That's yeah, right. That a lot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Good times. Next week, I've got I've got a bloody training course in London for a week, so that'll be great. I've got no gaming for a week, which is really going to annoy me. Um, I'm on a training course doing VB.net, which uh, PSP. Well, I'm, I've already charged the PSP and the DS. I'll be taking those with it, and I've also got the the iPod. Um, so I won't totally be without games, just without proper games <laughs> consoles. <laughs> I'm having my PSP replaced after the breaking. Yeah, mm-hmm. nice. Not really. I'd prefer the cash and put it towards my Xbox, but what can <laughs> yeah. you do? They're actually down. The Xbox 360 Elite is now down in Sainsbury's to 159 quid. Mm. Yeah, which um, really got. I mean. It, I've not seen any of the other mainstream shops where it's as cheap as that. So, if you use, I, I, um, I use a site called Hot UK Deals. Yeah, yeah. Um, just stick Xbox into that, and it'll tell you where the cheapest is. Yeah, that's not too bad. Um, don't forget, don't forget quid call as well. See so if you can get any money back. Yeah. 
No, Quidco works. I, I've just um, yeah. I got an email yesterday. I got sixty five quid bed into my account. Ah. Uh, <laughs> oh, now <laughs> you want to hear about Quidco? <laughs> I'll I'll we, send you a link after. We've had a fire this week in the house. Bloody hell! If um, she was ironing in the front room. Okay. And I was just laid on the settee. Yeah. And she went upstairs and I thought, that bloody iron smells hot. <laughs> it was, then I could hear the crackling. It sounded like, um, like an open fire crackling, you know, an open wood fire crackling. Yeah. And it was actually the iron and it was all inside, would actually caught fire inside and all the white plastic oh, wow. had started melting and browning and <laughs> plumes of black smoke coming off it. I remembered, I remembered to actually unplug it before I chucked it in the sink. <laughs> um, that could have but, been dangerous. Well, one of the things I noticed is not a single fire alarm went off in the house. You know, it used to be that I couldn't grill a slice of bacon without setting the fire alarm off. Yeah. So I've been around and checked them all. Uh, we've had the batteries for the bathroom scales. <laughs> oh. <laughs> God knows how long we've had no fire alarm batteries. Um, right. I've tried to think what would have happened if, um, you know, if she'd have been ironing after I'd gone to bed, you know, yeah, yeah. if she'd left it or forgot to switch it off and we've all gone to bed, which is actually, you know, we've done that a couple of times before. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, um, just to urge everyone, check your smoke alarm batteries. It, I know you hear about it all the time, and I'm one of them that just shrugs and goes, yeah, it'd be right. <laughs> yeah. it, it could so well not have been. Yeah. Same as the um, CO2 ones as well. Don't forget to check the CO2 ones, because uh, I mean, that's oh, quite I big. Can, I can survive CO2. I'm still... I'm still <laughs> You're okay with that one. <laughs> yeah. Replace what I've lost this year through not smoking. Um, <laughs> I've got something else to uh, confess to as well. Um, um, I, 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 I can see what's <laughs> written here, and can I now just apologise to Mangai, Herman, and Corey? <laughs> Please continue. Yeah. <laughs> I watched Twilight this weekend. Did you cry? <laughs> it's it's a weird one because it's um I'd, I bought it. It's my wife's birthday the day oh, before Valentine's. You did what? <laughs> you didn't just rent it. <laughs> no, it's um it, it it was on offer, not as cheap as it could have been, but it was it was on offer. And uh, daughter wants to see it. My eldest daughter, my ten year old, and I yeah. knew she'd probably love it. Yeah, uh, my wife. I thought, well, she might like it. She might not. You know, she's she quite likes watching High School Musical when my daughter was into that. Yeah, and I thought, well, it's that sort of thing. And I know there's a lot of people. I mean, um, Snowy on the forum. Snowy loves. She's one of the Twilight film lovers. You know. Yeah. And it's one of these films. I thought I'll give it a go. I'm not bothered about sparkly vampires. It doesn't ir- irritate me like other things do. Um, you know, these people that say zombies can't run. Uh, vampires should sparkle the way I see it is the mythological creatures you can change it slightly if, to suit your film Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah I sat I watched it it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be but it certainly I wouldn't have it's, it's not going up there on my favourites um, but I laughed at it so much but laughed when you're not supposed to laugh. Ah. Uh, the, the main character, uh, his name's Edward, and I, for some reason I thought his name was Edwin all the way through the film until it got right near the end. And okay. he's, um, he's constantly got this <laughs> really miserable face on it. I can see why you know, people say it's uh, all the emos are into uh, Twilight. It's, he's got such a miserable face on him. It's proper teenage angst all the way through the film. I think he smiles twice, three times, something like that. And then the rest of it is just this 
you know, a teenager's face, Kevin, the teenager's type face. Really, <laughs> you know. uh, but one of the um, one of the vampires that's part of his clan, part of his family. Yeah. <laughs> they, ex- they explain that the reason he's got that expression on his face is because he has only recently joined our family. Our family are what we consider the equivalent of a vegetarian. We don't drink human blood. We only drink animal blood. And he's still getting used to it. And that's their excuse for him walking around as if he's just cacked his pants. Right. (laughs) That's the the facial expression he's got. It's it's quite a surprised, shocked look, an embarrassed look. And I was absolutely killing myself laughing at this and trying not to ruin the film for everybody else. Um, So, yeah, it's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. Um, Might get better, although I've heard bad things about the next film. Um, I won't be going out of the way to watch it again, uh, although I might put it on a freeze frame on that character's face just so I can kill myself (laughs) laughing next time I need cheering up. I'm brilliant. (laughs) Right, well, this week's podcast of the week is an audio drama from the Star Wars universe. And as you heard the advertisement earlier, it's called In the Shadows. Um, Over to Anthony just to tell you a little bit more. Yeah, um, well, this audio drama, the first time I heard about it was on Forcecast. Okay. Uh, which is obviously the, the, the big Star Wars podcast you yeah. know, that's out there. You know, thousands of listeners. I thought, oh, I'll keep my ear out for that. Uh, forgot, obviously, time went on, I forgot about it. And then um, when I first found the Anomaly podcast, it got mentioned on there. And um, the, the creator of it, Danny Pepin, um, was uh, on the Anomaly podcast uh, talking to Jen um, from the Anomaly. And uh, so, yeah, eventually I got, you know, I got it, downloaded it, listened to it. Uh, I waited till all of the episodes were out before I did this. I, you know, I like to, with audio dramas, when they're released, you know, uh, weekly, bi-weekly, monthly, whatever, I forget where I am with it. I listen to that many podcasts, so I try and do them all in the same day, spread out over one day. Yeah. This podcast, this um, audio drama, Star Wars, um, it's set in the Star Wars universe called In the Shadows, and it's absolutely fantastic. It's really good. Um, the production levels on it are fantastic. Um, yeah. It took nearly a year from writing to actual release date. Uh, Danny Pepin is actually who wrote it is actually French, but he decided to do it in uh, English. Um, obviously for listenership and what have you. Yeah. Uh, there's quite a few voices that you might recognize in it. Okay. Uh, Meds from the Waffle On podcast, he makes an appearance in there. Okay. Uh, Jen from The Anomaly, she appears in it. And even Jimmy Mack from the Force cast, he makes a small appearance as a stormtrooper. Oh, sweet. And the best thing about it is, is you actually recognize the voices. You can tell when they're on screen. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's got to be one of, if not the best audio drama that I've listened to, um, with the exception of Novo Babylonia, of course. Of, of course, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, which if you've if you've not checked that one out, listen to Novo Babylonia first. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's I think it's I think it's around about five hours. This uh, in the shadows. Okay. Uh, really, really gripping stuff. Really well produced. Really well written. Uh, really entertaining. And to be honest with you, it's it's that higher quality. It's the sort of thing that you would imagine having to pay for. 
Right, you know, okay. uh, but no, it's there. It's free, ready for download. Uh, you can find it on iTunes if you do a search for Creative Audioscape on yeah. iTunes. Okay. And you'll find it. Uh, alternatively, you can go to www.creativeaudioscape.com. And, uh, you know, check the uh, show notes, uh, which, by the way, I'm doing the show notes now. These get released on the Thursday. I'm going to try and keep to the routine of doing them on the Monday, which is most convenient for me. Yeah, sure. In the past, it's been anything up to a week or two weeks later before I've actually (laughs) got around to doing the show notes. I'm going to try and keep it to the Monday after the episode gets released. Cool. Okay. Well, that's it for this week. If you want to come and join us on the forum, uh, like uh, quite a lot of you have done now, it's reddwarfforum.com. If you want to find us on Twitter, it's twitter.com forward slash reddwarfforum. And if you want to drop us an email, it's scuttercast at reddwarfforum.com. That's it. We'll be back in two weeks with the episode Quarantine. So we'll speak to you then. Goodbye. Bye. See you well.